السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربنا زدنا علما We were on باب نمبر 37 باب خوف المؤمن من ان يحبط عمله وهو لا يشعر The fear of the believer that his deeds would be wasted and he does not even realize Then Imam Bukhari mentions the sayings, the statements of many salaf. And basically, all of these statements, what do they show? That no person can feel secure. No person should feel secure that just because he is a believer, just because he has done righteous deeds, he will be perfectly fine and nothing can harm him, nothing can harm his deeds. No, a person should always remain between fear and hope. Because as long as a person is fearful, he is careful. Isn't it? And as soon as a person becomes free of fear, then he tends to become careless. Then he does not care about what he's doing, what he's saying. He doesn't care about the consequences of his actions. And then Imam Bukhari, he mentions a hadith in which we learn that Zubayd, he said, سَأَلْتُ أَبَا وَائِلٍ عَنِ الْمُرْجِئَةِ That I asked Abu Wa'il about the murji'ah. Who are the murji'ah? Who are they? Okay, so they are a sect okay, that came about in, in early Islam. And what was their main that basically if you look at the word murji'ah, it's from irja'ah, okay, raja. And what does that mean? Hope. So they are those who believed very strongly in raja, in irja'ah. And what does that mean? That as long as a person is a believer, there is hope that he is forgiven, he will enter paradise, that nothing at all will harm him. So in other words, when you're a believer, if you have iman, that is only iqrar in the heart, then do whatever, say whatever, it doesn't matter. So whether you curse or you speak the truth, it's the same. Whether you lie or you say good things, it's the same. Whether you pray or you don't pray, it's the same. So Imam Bukhari, he quotes this hadith over here because when Zubayd, he asked Abu Wa'il about the murji'ah, that what do you say about them? So he quoted a hadith saying that, Anna Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qal, Sibabul Muslimi fusuq. Insulting a Muslim is fusuq. It's committing a sin. Waqitaluhu kufr. And fighting him is kufr. So, in other words, the murji'ah, what did they say? That sibabul muslim is also iman. And qitalul muslim is also iman. But the saying of the Prophet ﷺ contradicts that very clearly. If you curse a muslim, that's not iman. It's fusuq. If you kill him, if you fight him, that's not iman. That is kufr. So in other words, a person must be afraid that his words and his actions can harm his iman. His words, sibab, can they harm his iman? Yes, it's fusuq. His actions, qital, can that harm his iman? Yes, it can because this is kufr. So the point of quoting this hadith in this topic under this chapter heading is to prove that your words and actions do affect your iman. And therefore a person must always remain in fear. Yes, there should be hope, but there should always be fear as well. أخبرنا قتيبة بن سعيد حدثنا إسماعيل بن جعفر عن حميد عن أنس قال أخبرني عبادة بن الصامت أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم خرج went out يخبر يخبر He was informing بليلة القدر about the night of قدر 
Meaning he was going to tell people about when exactly the Laylatul Qadr was going to be, which night it was going to be. فَتَلَاحَا رَجُلَانِ فَتَلَاحَا So they too were fighting, arguing, insulting each other. Who? رَجُلَانِ Two men مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ From the Muslims. فَقَالَ So he said, the Prophet ﷺ when he saw those two men arguing with each other, insulting one another, he said, إِنِّي خَرَجْتُ Indeed I came out. لِأُخْبِرَكُمْ So that I may inform you بِلَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ About the night of decree. That which night it is supposed to be. However, وَإِنَّهُ And indeed he تَلَاحَ He was disputing. He was he was insulting each other. Who? فُلَانٌ So and so وَفُلَانٌ And so and so. These two people, they were insulting one another. So what happened? فَرُفِعَتْ So it was lifted up. Meaning that knowledge, that ilm of when the Laylatul Qadr was going to be, that knowledge was lifted up from me. It was taken away from me. Wa'asa and perhaps an yakuna that it is khayran lakum. It is better for you. It's quite possible. Hopefully, this is better for you. What is better for you? That we don't know about the exact night when Laylatul Qadr is going to be. Therefore, what should you do? Iltamisuha. All of you find it. Search for it. Look for it. When? Fi in as-sab'i, the seventh. Wat-tis'i and the ninth. Wal-khamsi and the fifth. So search for Laylatul Qadr in the last ten odd nights. But which ones in particular? The seventh, the ninth, and the fifth. In the hadith, the first and the third, meaning the twenty-first and the twenty-third are not mentioned. Which ones? Twenty-fifth, twenty-seventh, and twenty-ninth. So find Laylatul Qadr in these nights. What do we learn in this hadith? But we see that the result of mutual disputes, the result of showing disrespect to one another, is what? That we are deprived of khair. That we are deprived of goodness. What's the chapter heading? That the believer should be afraid of his deeds getting wasted, of something affecting his iman, something affecting his deeds. So Imam Bukhari is showing us another angle over here. That when we do something wrong, that can result in being deprived of good. That when we do something wrong, we are deprived of good. Mukhasama, disputing with each other, is the cause of raf'ul khair. This is why in the Qur'an, what do we learn? وَلَا تَنَازَعُوا فَتَفْشَلُوا وَتَذْهَبَ رِيحُكُمْ That do not fight with one another. Why? Because you will become weak. You will become weak, you will become disheartened, weak-hearted. And as a result, your rih, meaning your awe, it will depart you. You will not have that glory anymore. It will leave you. And we see that the Prophet ﷺ, whenever he dispatched companions together, he would always instruct them to be united in one way or the other. For example, when he sent Mu'ad ibn Jabal and Abu Musa al-Ashari to Yemen, he told both of them to obey one another to listen to each other, to cooperate with each other. Why? Because if they don't cooperate with each other, then what will happen? There will be disputes. And when there are disputes, when there are arguments, then that will result in goodness departing people. That people are deprived of good. People are deprived of khair. So this hadith teaches us that we should always fear that because of our actions or because of our words, we might get deprived of good. That the deeds that we have done, they may get wasted. They may get nullified. And in the future, 
great opportunities also are taken away from us. This is taqwa, that a person becomes careful then about his actions, about his words. Another thing that we see in this hadith is that the Prophet ﷺ, he said that after telling the people that this is why I cannot tell you, this knowledge was taken away from me because of your dispute, he said that, وَعَسَىٰ أَن يَكُونَ خَيْرًا لَكُمْ hmm? That in every situation, what should we see? What should we look for? The positive side. Always look for something positive in even the greatest of problems. And you know what? This is shukr in a way. This can only be done by a person who is grateful. A person who is ungrateful, what will he do? He will always look at the negative things. Why is this happening? Why did that happen? And this happened and that happened. As if a person is listing and counting the things that went wrong that he does not like. But a grateful person, what is his thinking like? Positive. That even in the most difficult situations or even in the situations that he dislikes, what is he searching for? The positive aspect. And in every problem that a person can ever suffer, there is always something good. Remember that. Everything. There is shar and there is also khair. فَأَلْهَمَهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَقْوَاهَا Every person, even every human being, has a good side as well as an evil side. A person who has harmed you, it's also quite possible that they have benefited you in some way or the other. And you may never see the positive side, but search for it, look for it, and you will find it. You will find it. So we see that even in this situation, the Prophet ﷺ, he gave the Sahaba hope that look for the positive. Perhaps this is much better for you. And if you think about it, is there benefit in this? That the Laylatul Qadr has not been appointed, but we have been told to look for it. Is there benefit in this? What's the benefit? That if we were told about that specific night, then we would limit our ibadah to that night. Saying that, oh, that night the worship is you know, equal to Al-Fishah. So don't worry about the rest of your life. Just worship on that night and you're fine. But the thing is that when we have not been told specifically about that night, then in order to search for it, what do we have to do? Worship the rest of the nights as well. Isn't it? Is there any other benefit? It keeps people steadfast, otherwise people will become so relaxed. If you think about it, this is also a means of separating between people who are sincere, hmm? who are sincerely striving to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and others who are just getting by. Hmm? Because a person who is sincerely striving to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what will he do? He will worship every single night hoping to find Laylatul Qadr. Hmm? The one who is striving, the one who is putting in effort. And the one who is lazy or the one who is not that much interested, will he strive as much? No. But if he knew, okay, this is the night that you can worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is Laylatul Qadr, then that lazy person would also worship on that night. What would be the difference between those who have been striving the entire month and those who haven't been striving? So it differentiates between who? Those who are sincere and those who are lazy. So this hadith, there are many, many lessons in it. And of the lessons, these two are extremely important. The first one, that we should be careful about what we do and say because it can affect our deeds, our iman. And secondly, that always look for the positive in every problem. Bab, سؤال جبريل النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم عن الإيمان والإسلام والإحسان وعلم الساعة سؤال جبريل the questioning of Jibreel, who, al-Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when Jibreel asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam about what? Anil iman, about iman, wal-islam and islam, wal-ihsan, and also ihsan. 
and also وَعِلْمِ السَّاعَةِ and the knowledge of the hour. وَبَيَانِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ لَهُ and the explanation of the Prophet ﷺ for him, meaning the explanation that he gave him, the answers that he gave him to his questions. ثُمَّ قَالَ Then he said, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, after giving all the answers to his questions, then the Prophet ﷺ said to the rest of the people who were there, that جَاءَ جِبْرِيلُ That was Jibril who had come, عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامُ يُعَلِّمُكُمْ دِينَكُمْ He came to teach you your religion. فَجَعَلَ ذَلِكَ so he made, meaning the Prophet ﷺ made, ذَلِكَ That, كُلَّهُ All of it, دِينًا دِين Meaning, all that Jibreel had asked about, and what did he ask about? Iman, Islam, Ihsan, and Ilmu Sa'a. And all that the Prophet ﷺ explained to him. All of that, the Prophet ﷺ made that what? Deen. He called all of that Deen. How? By saying, يُعَلِّمَكُمْ يُعَلِّمُكُمْ so in other words, Imam Bukhari is trying to prove over here that Iman is not just belief. It's not just faith in your heart. Deen, deen, your religion, it includes your Iman, your belief, your faith, as well as your Islam, as well as your actions, as well as Ihsan, the extra good that you do or how you do. وَمَا بَيَّنَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ and also that which the Prophet ﷺ clarified to who? Liwafdi to the delegation of. Delegation of who? Abdul Qaisi. The delegation of Abdul Qais. And what did he clarify to them? What did he explain to them? Min al Iman of Iman. Later on, we will learn about the hadith of the waft of Abdul Qais, in which a group of people came to the Prophet ﷺ and asked him about Iman. So the Prophet ﷺ did not just tell them about belief in response to their question, but he also told them about actions that they had to perform. So in other words, Iman is not just about faith, it includes actions. And all of this together is deen. وَقَوْلِهِ تَعَالَى And the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَمَنْ يَبْتَغِي غَيْرَ الْإِسْلَامِ دِينًا فَلَنْ يُقْبَلَ مِنْهُ And whoever seeks other than Islam as religion, then it will never ever be accepted from him. In the ayah, Islam has been used. And then deen has been said. So Islam is deen. It's not just actions, but rather it is also faith. So deen includes what? Religion includes what? Iman, Islam, and Ihsan. We cannot separate them. Now, in the chapter heading, Imam Bukhari summarizes the entire hadith. Are you familiar with this hadith? Hmm? So he summarizes the entire hadith, and later on he mentions it. And in this hadith we learned that Jibreel asked about Islam, Iman, and Ihsan as well as the knowledge of the hour and the Prophet ﷺ explained all of that to him. So let's look at the hadith. By the way, before we read the hadith, just so that you know, the version that is in Sahih Bukhari is a shorter version. You can say it's like the abridged version. The longer version of the same hadith is in Sahih Muslim, which you also read in Arba'in al-Nawwi. The 40 ahadith, the hadith which is there about in which the angel Jibreel came, that hadith is taken from Sahih Muslim, which has been narrated by who? With Sahabi. Umar anhu. So that one is much longer. So don't worry about, you know, if you don't see certain details over here, don't worry. This hadith is the shorter version. And this has been narrated by Abu Hurairah anhu. Haddathana musaddadun qala haddathana Ismail ibn Ibrahim akhbarana Abu abu hayyana taymiyyu an abi zur'ata an abi hurayrata qala he said كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم 
the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam was barizan bariz meaning one who has appeared one who is in front of yawman one day linnasi for the people so one day the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was sitting in the company of the people meaning he was in front of them he was in a public place there were people with him fa atahu jibrilu so jibril came to him faqala and he said mal iman what is iman do you have fa atahu jibril or fa atahu rajulun rajulun okay some have jibril some have rajul both are there okay in some versions you will find rajul in other versions you will find jibril refers to who same so fa atahu jibril faqala mal iman what is iman qala he said al imanu iman is an tu'mina billahi that you believe in allah wa malaikatihi and his angels wa biliqaihi and with his meeting meeting who allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wa rusulihi and his messengers wa tu'mina and that you believe bil ba'thi with the resurrection qala he said mal islam what is islam jibril asked what is islam qala the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam replied al islam islam is an ta'bud allah that you worship allah wala tushrika and that you do not associate bihi with him you do not associate any partners with him wa tuqima and that you establish as salata da salah wa tuaddiya and that you give you pay az zakata the zakat which is al mafrudah the obligatory the mandatory wa tasuma and that you fast ramadan in the month of ramadan qala he said meaning jibril asked mal ihsan what is ihsan qala he said the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam replied an ta'bud allah that you worship allah ka'annaka as though you are tarahu you are seeing him ihsan is that you worship allah as though you see him fa in so if lam not takun you are tarahu you see him so if you are not going to see him which obviously you're not going to see right obviously you're not going to see allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fa innahu then at least remember that indeed he yaraka he sees you so the first level of ihsan is that you worship allah as though you see him but if you cannot bring about that feeling then at least worship with the feeling that he is watching you that is ihsan that's the second level of ihsan qala he said jibril asked mata saatu when is the hour meaning when will the day of judgment be qala he said the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said ma not al mas'ulu the one who is being questioned anha about it the one who is being questioned about it and who is that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he is not bi a'lama at all more knowing min than as-sa'il the one who is asking so the one who is being asked does not know any more than the one who is asking meaning both are the same in their knowledge concerning when the day of judgment is going to be who is asking jibril so does jibril know about it no the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam does he know about it no so both of us are equal in the knowledge of when the day of judgment is going to happen however the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said wa sa'ukhbiruka and i will inform you an ashratiha about its about its signs what are the signs idha when waladat she will give birth who al amatu the female slave who will she give birth to rabbaha her master when the female slave will give birth to her master 
Meaning her child will be who? Her master. وَإِذَا and when تَطَاوَلَ تَطَاوَلَ What's the root? I want you to dissect the word. طَاوَلَمْ طُول What does طُول mean? To be long. And تَطَاوَلَ يَتَطَاوَلُ تَطَاوُلْ تَفَاعُلْ Competition. So تَطَاوَلَ When he is competing with one another. Why? Why? In order to make even taller. So they are competing in making tall. Who is competing in making tall? Ru'atu. Ru'at. Ra'i. Shepherds. The shepherds of who? Al-ibil. Camels. Which kind of camels? Al-buhmu. Black camels. And black camels were cheaper than red camels. Red camels were like extremely expensive. Okay? And cheaper than them, lesser than them in quality were which ones? The buhm camels. So when the shepherds of black camels, what are they doing? They're competing to make tall what? Fil bunyan in the buildings that they're constructing. In other words, when the poorest of Bedouins, when the poorest of Arabs, they are competing with each other in making high-rises, in building tall buildings. There is a competition literally. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, Fil bunyani, fi khamsin, in five. What does it mean by fi khamsin? Hmm? Meaning that the hour is one of five things. The hour is one of five things that la ya'lamuhunna, none knows them, illallah except Allah. What does it mean by fi khamsin? That the hour, the knowledge of when the hour is going to come, is one of those five things, one of those five matters about which none knows except who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. ثُمَّ تَلَى النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ And then the Prophet ﷺ recited the verse. Which verse? إِنَّ اللَّهَ عِنْدَهُ عِلْمُ السَّاعَةِ Where is this verse? In Surah Luqman. Open up Surah Luqman. I want you to find this verse right now. Who found it? Read it. Read it out loud so that everybody can hear you. Loudly. Recite it. وَمَا تَدْرِي نَفْسٌ مَا تَكْسِبُ غَدَى وَمَا تَدْرِي نَفْسٌ بِأَيِّ أَرْضٍ تَمُوتٌ إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلِيمٌ خَبِيرٌ So there are five things that are mentioned in this verse that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. First of all, إِنَّ اللَّهَ عِنْدَهُ عِلْمُ السَّاعَةِ That only Allah knows when the day of judgment is going to happen. Secondly, secondly, وَيُنَزِّلُ الْغَيْسَ When the rain is going to fall. The clouds can go by us. Right above us, they can come and stand above us even. However, only Allah knows when exactly the rain is going to fall. Thirdly, وَيَعْلَمُ مَا فِي الْأَرْحَامِ Only He knows what exactly is in the wombs. Fourth, وَمَا تَدْرِي نَفْسٍ مَاذَا تَكْسِبُ غَدَا No soul knows what it will earn tomorrow. And fifth, وَمَا تَدْرِي نَفْسٌ بِأَيِّ أَرْضٍ تَمُوتٍ No person knows as to which land he will die in. So these are five things, five matters. About which, who knows alone? Only Allah knows. No one else but Allah knows about these five matters. Summa adbara. And then he went back. Who went back? Jibril. Meaning he left. Faqala, so the Prophet ﷺ said to the companions who were sitting there, Rudduhu, call him back. Meaning call that man back who just left. Falam yaraw shay'an. So they did not see anything. Meaning they couldn't find a sign of him. He left and they could not find him anywhere. فَقَالَ So the Prophet ﷺ said, هَذَا جِبْرِيلِ That was Jibreel. جَاءَ He came, يُعَلِّمُ النَّاسَ To teach the people, دِينَهُمْ Their religion. 
قال ابو عبد الله ابو عبد الله said جعل ذلك كله من الايمان the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam made all of that part of iman all of what iman islam ihsan as well as ilm as-sa'ah so this is exactly what imam bukhari is trying to prove over here first of all in this hadith we see that jibril he came to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and asked him several questions from the version in sahih muslim we learn that he came shadidu bayad al-thiyab hmm? that he came in extremely white clothes and la yura alayhi athar min as-safar you could not even see any sign on him of travel because nobody knew him and obviously if nobody knew you that meant you were an outsider you were a traveler so he came in extremely white clothes no signs of any travel any journeying on him so people were amazed that who is this man where did he come from with such good appearance and people were immediately attracted towards him and this is how you know everybody's attention was drawn towards that conversation that took place this is why so many sahaba remembered that incident and narrated that incident as well because the way jibril came and the way he came and started asking questions it attracted everybody's attention and then we also learn about how he sat he sat in a very respectful manner right in front of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and then he asked him questions what questions did he ask him first of all about iman about iman when he asked that what is iman the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam gave him the answer that iman is that you believe in allah and his angels in his meeting in his messengers and that you believe in the resurrection typically we know that the pillars of iman are how many six and they include belief in allah belief in the books the messengers the angels the day of judgment as well as the decree the destiny are all of them mentioned over here no they're not mentioned over here which ones are missing belief in books and belief in qadr and we see an addition over here which is iman in the liqa of allah what does it mean by belief in liqa of allah belief in meeting with allah refers to belief in hisab hisab muhasaba because when a person will meet allah first on the day of judgment what is that for so that allah will question him summa yunabbiuhum bima amilu he will inform them about what they have done and informing them means what asking them about what they have done we learn in surah al-inshiqaq ya ayyuhal insan innaka kadihun ila rabbika kadhan famulaqihi you are going to meet your lord fa amma man utiya kitabahu So the liqa of Allah is what? Hisab. So belief in the liqa as well. And over here belief in resurrection is also mentioned. But we know that belief in the hereafter includes belief in resurrection. It includes belief in the meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. As well as every other matter of the hereafter. Then we see that Jibreel asked about Islam. And what was the response that was given to him that Islam is an ta'budu Allah wa la tushrika bihi otherwise what do we know that Islam is shahada an la ilaha illa Allah wa anna Muhammadan Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam wa tuqim as-salah wa tu'addi zakat al-mafrudah wa tasuma Ramadan which one is not mentioned hajj is not mentioned then Jibril asked about ihsan why do you think all five are not mentioned all six are not mentioned all five pillars are not mentioned all six pillars of iman are not mentioned what does it teach us to understand a hadith 
it is important that we look at other related ahadith as well. Just as in order to understand the verses of the Qur'an correctly, what do we need to do? Look at the verses in the light of other verses. Look at the verses in the light of the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Only then can you have the correct understanding of the verse. If you take it separately, if you look at it separately, then can you understand it fully? You cannot. Similarly, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ as well, you can only fully comprehend when you look at the other related ahadith. So, especially those ahadith that are similar. As I told you earlier that this version is a shorter version. And the longer version is in Sahih Muslim. So to understand this fully, what do we need to do? Look at that hadith as well. And look at the other hadith as well. This hadith does not prove that hajj is not a part of Islam. Okay? This hadith does not prove that belief in divine decree is not necessary. Not at all. Okay? This is just like in the Quran sometimes, iman, when it is mentioned, belief in only the day of judgment is mentioned over there. Or belief in Allah alone is mentioned over there. Does that mean belief in the angels is not necessary? No, of course it is. So Jibreel asked about Ihsan then. And the Prophet ﷺ, he responded to him that Al-Ihsan is what? أَن تَعْبُدَ اللَّهَ كَأَنَّكَ تَرَاهُ That you worship Allah as though you see Him. But can you see Allah? No, you cannot. So what does it mean then? What does it mean? Think about it. If you have, for example, a reward that is to be given to you in front of you, you can see it. Hmm? When you're doing what you're doing, okay, how do you do it? With talab, with desire. Isn't it? Seeking that reward. There's a difference in how you feel. Another situation. The reward is not in front of you. However, your supervisor, they're watching you. How are you doing your work? With fear, with khawf. You understand the difference? In one situation, the reward is before you. You are doing whatever you're doing with talab, with desire, seeking reward. Nothing else is on your mind. All you want is your reward. There's talab that's driving you. There's a driving force. Another situation is when somebody is watching you. You don't care about the reward. All that you're concerned about is that you do what you're doing properly. Why? Because they're watching you. So you become careful. So what is the driving force? Fear. So there are... Two levels of ihsan. One is a higher level and the other is a lesser level. But both of these levels, they make a person worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a beautiful manner. This is what makes him worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the best way that he's able to. The first level is of talab, ibadatu talab. That when a person is worshiping Allah, seeking wajhullah. Hmm? Seeking wajhullah, seeking the pleasure of Allah, the face of Allah. When a person worships in this way, he's not thinking about, if I don't pray, you know, I could be punished. If I don't pray, if I don't do this, I could be questioned. If I don't do this, I will suffer. Hmm? Like for example, sometimes people are very concerned about, let's say, performing their salah. And why are they afraid about making sure they're performing their salah properly? What is driving them? Fear. That I will be questioned about it on the Day of Judgment. Yes, that's good. But one is that you're worshipping Allah, you're praying your salah, you're looking forward to it. You love it, you enjoy it. You can't wait to have that meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is talab. This is a higher level. The secondary level, the lesser level is what? That a person worships out of fear. 
That is ibadatul harab. Fear. That a person is trying to save himself from some punishment or from some you know dangerous consequences in this dunya or in the hereafter. Now think about what ihsan is. What is ihsan literally? To beautify. To do your action beautifully. That whatever you're doing, you do it in the best way. Hmm? So the highest level of ihsan is that whatever act of worship you're doing, whether it is salah or it is saum or it is you know dealing with other people, mu'amalat or with other people according to the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, any action that a person is doing, any ibadah, he does it to seek the pleasure of Allah. This is just like when a test has to be taken. Hmm? Some people, they're excited about the test. They're looking forward to it. Why? Because they have enjoyed whatever they have learned and they can't wait to take the exam. They've enjoyed their entire experience. And there are other people who are opposite, that they don't want to even think about the test. They're doing whatever they're doing with fear and with, you know, not as good feelings as others. Both the feelings can come together, but always one will overpower the other. You will notice it yourself as well. Sometimes when you're standing to pray, you're praying just to make sure you're praying because it's an obligation on you. And other times you're praying because you want to. You want to. Is there a difference? There is a difference. For example, if you wake up for Fajr, just to make sure you pray your Fajr, how will your khushu be? Different. And if you pray, if you wake up early enough, and you perform your wudu properly, and you stand and you pray with concentration, There's, it's a different level. So, ihsan has two levels. One is, أَن تَعْبُدَ اللَّهَ كَأَنَّكَ تَرَاهُ And secondly, وَإِن لَمْ تَكُنْ تَرَاهُ فَإِنَّهُ يَرَاكَ That at least will bring ihsan into your ibadah. It doesn't mean that you picture something in your mind. No, that's not what the meaning is. The meaning is that you are worshipping him as though you can see him. And when a person can see someone in front of them, they behave differently. It is as though, not literally, but as though. So how can you do that? How can you worship Allah as though you can see him? This is only possible when you are concentrating fully, when you are in awe of the greatness, the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that is only possible when you recognize your Lord, when you realize His greatness, that He is Nurul Samawati Wal Ard, that He is Khaliqu Kulli Shay, and He is As Samir, He is Al Basir. So with the knowledge of His Sifat, with the knowledge of His Af'al, with the knowledge of His greatness, His majesty, that is what brings this consciousness. It's the same thing that you're doing something to please Allah so that in the hereafter you can see Him. So that in the hereafter you can see Him, right? So the one who worships Allah with this driving force that He, with ibadatul talab desiring the reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then such a person will be gifted with seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment as well, in the hereafter as well. The next question that Jibreel asked him was about the Day of Judgment. When is it going to be? And the Prophet ﷺ told him that he does not know. However, the Prophet ﷺ told him something different. He didn't just say, I don't know. Sorry, can't help you. When somebody asks you a question and you don't know about the answer, don't make up an answer. Tell them you don't know. But at least, you know, give them the knowledge of something else that can perhaps help them. For example, if somebody comes and asks me a question, I don't know the answer, I'll tell them, I don't know, you can check on this website. You can ask this person, you can check that book. I haven't heard about it, however, there's something similar that I've heard about, you know, such and such. Satisfy the other person. Okay? You know, sometimes when we hear about 
the stories of the scholars of the past, for example, about Imam Malik, that somebody came and asked him so many questions and he said, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And he said, I had heard so much about you. He said, go tell the people. I asked Malik such and such and he said, he doesn't know. So when we hear about these stories, we think, you know, we should just say, I don't know. Okay, say, I don't know. However, give something to the other person. They're looking for knowledge. They're looking for something that they're looking for answers. If you do not have the answer, at least guide them somewhere from where they can find the answer. Or at least give them something that they can benefit from. Okay? And it's not that the scholars of the past, they didn't follow the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. There was a reason why they did what they did. Okay? Because that was a time of great ikhtilaf. That was a, a time when people were, you know, looking for fitna, literally. So when somebody came asking you certain questions, it was best to to give them a straightforward answer. For example, Imam Bukhari even, we learn about him that towards the end of his life, he went towards, he went to a particular city to stay there. He decided that he was going to reside there and it's said that he was, it was his birthplace. And when he started teaching over there, a lot of people started coming to his gatherings. A lot of people started coming to his gatherings to the point that the other gatherings, the other majalis, they became empty. So the other scholars, I mean, they became envious. They became jealous. So anyway, one person, he asked Imam Bukhari about a certain question. And it was a matter of, you know, great ikhtilaf at that time. So Imam Bukhari, he gave him the answer. Other people who did not like him, they made literally a, a mountain out of, out of that molehill. They exaggerated it so much to the point that people boycotted Imam Bukhari. So you can read about this. The point that I'm making over here is that the scholars of the past, if they ever gave an abrupt answer, it was for a reason. It was for a reason. And we see the Prophet ﷺ's sunnah was that when somebody asked him a question, he did not know, he did not say a plain no, but rather he gave them something. So what did the Prophet ﷺ inform Jibreel about? What did he say then? He told him about the signs of the Day of Judgment. The first sign is what? That when a slave woman will give birth to her own master. What does it mean by this? There are many interpretations that have been given to this statement that the female slave gives birth to her master. One of them is that a slave woman, and this slave woman is a sabi. Sabi, seen baya, sabaya, it refers to the women as well as children from among the war captives. The women and children among who? The war captives. Like for example, a place is conquered, an enemy is defeated. So what's going to happen? What's going to happen then? Their wealth is distributed as booty and the women, children, people, they're made into slaves. Generally, right? So the women and the children, what are they known as? Sabi or Sabaya. So some scholars have said that this means that a Sabi woman would give birth and the child would be who? Free. Why? Because that child would be the child of who? The master. And the master is who? Free. If the master is free, obviously, he's the father, so his child will also be free. And when that child grows up, he becomes a master and the mother is still slave. And some have said that what this is figurative for the increase of, you can say, such captive women, such slave women, which indicates victory or the many victories that Muslims will have near the end of time. Some have interpreted it in this way. But other scholars disagree. Why? Because this was something that was happening even at that time. If a slave woman gave birth to a child, that child would be a free child. Okay? that child would be a free child. Now, is he allowed to sell his mother? Obviously, that's a different case. 
But this was something that was happening at that time as well. But this hadith is telling us about what will happen towards the end of time. So other scholars, they have said that this means when a slave woman will give birth to such children who will become kings and masters. In other words, a slave community will rise to become the kings, to become the leaders. And we see that in the past, this has already happened. For example, can you think of a particular dynasty? The Mamluk. Have you heard about them? No. The Mamluks, they held a lot of political as well as military authority in the vast majority of the Muslim empire for a very, very long time. And especially in Egypt, there was the Mamluk Sultanate. And in some areas, the Mamluks, they even reach the level of the sultan. And who are these Mamluk? Mamluk is someone who is owned. Okay, they were people of slave origin. Their ancestors were slaves. But they became kings. Other scholars have interpreted this in another way as well. And this seems to be more relevant. And this interpretation is that when the mother becomes like the servant of her own child, when the mother is treated as a slave by who? by her own children. The Arabs, they had great morals and values as well. And amongst them was what? Respecting their parents. Respect for parents was something that was that was a big deal in that community, in those people. We see that, for example, when Musa ibn Umayr, when he became a Muslim, hmm, what did his mother say? I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to drink, right? I'm not going to sit in the shade. Why do you think she was able to do that? Because she was his mother. Children were supposed to look after their parents. Children were supposed to be respectful towards their mothers. This was something understood. It was a very major value that the Arabs had. And we see that in Islam, this was encouraged. It was taken to a higher level even. وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا However, we see that this hadith tells us that towards the end of time, this will reverse. This will not happen anymore. What? that children will not have respect for their parents, especially their mother. In fact, the children will treat their mother as a slave is treated. How is a slave treated? Hmm? Okay, for example, a slave is given many, many chores to do. That the slave is serving the master. And it's sad that today, even girls, I'm not just talking about boys, even girls, from the moment they are born until many, many years after, Who is looking after them? Their mother. And still it's amazing that the mother is not being looked after, but rather the mother is still looking after who? Her daughters, her children. As if the children never take the responsibility of taking care of their parents. What else are slaves made to do? Huh? Follow commands. How are they treated? With disrespect. Are they ever thanked or appreciated for their efforts? And it's sad that mothers will cook, they will do the laundry, they will clean, but still they will not be appreciated for their efforts. They will not be appreciated, thanked for all the love and care that they're showing. How else are slaves treated? For example, if a slave is being spoken with, he will not be you know, addressed with respect, with kind words, with a low voice, but rather he is instructed in a very commanding voice, right? And Harsh words may also be used. A person may even yell and scream, raise his voice, isn't it? And we see the same thing today, that children speak to their mothers as if they're speaking to servants, yelling at them, using harsh words, as if they're talking to little children, not even children, 
you know, servants, slaves. How else are slaves treated? That they have absolutely no say in the decisions that are made. And sometimes children also do that with their parents. They don't give them any freedom with regards to, you know, what has to be done. How else are servants treated, slaves treated? Yes. If they don't do something, they have to suffer the consequences. And similarly, if the mother forgets to, you know, wash a particular shirt or something, then she has to suffer so much. The way the children yell, the way they argue, the way they fight. Another thing is that a slave, whether a slave is sick or a slave is tired or a slave is overworked, are people concerned about his well-being? Are people concerned about, oh, you know what, it's okay, give him rest, let's do it ourselves? No. And unfortunately, mothers are treated in the same way. That whether she is sick or she's tired or she's exhausted or she's old, it doesn't matter. It's as though her illness is not a big deal. It's as though her aging is not a problem. Just like a, a servant is threatened that he will be fired, similarly, children threaten their parents, I'm going to leave, disown you. If people are ever advised that, you know, have some respect for your parents, they say, they're my parents, I can do whatever I want. You can't do whatever you want. This is not right. Because parents have certain rights and they should be respected. So anyway, we all need to reflect on our own lives every single one of us, and see how we treat our parents. Are they still serving us? Or is it about time that we start serving them? Are there still moments when, you know, our parents are ill, they're sick, they're tired, but still we expect the mother to make breakfast for us, the mother to cook for us, and we will not even help them. It's about time we take responsibility. Then secondly, the second sign of the Day of Judgment is that when the shepherds of black camels compete in making tall buildings... As I mentioned to you, that such shepherds are who? Very poor. Why? Because what do they own? Black camels, which are not that expensive. They were cheaper compared to red camels. So it refers to the very poor shepherds even, even the most poorest among the Arabs, that what are they doing? They are competing in constructing tall buildings. In other words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bless them with a lot of wealth. Allah will bless them with a lot of wealth. And that wealth, what will they use it for? Just building buildings. You see, Arabs, what property did they have? Could they have agriculture? Could they? No, very limited, only in the oasis. But generally, what did they have? Animals, camels, whom they ate off of, whom they used as their vehicles even. So people whose life revolved around camels, now their life is about buildings. Changed completely. So much wealth Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed them with. So this is one of the signs of the Day of Judgment. Anyway, this hadith is proving what? That the religion, deen includes iman, Islam, as well as ihsan, as well as knowledge of the deen. Ilmu sa'a. Ilmu sa'a. Knowledge is also included in what? Deen. That is also a major part of our deen. We will conclude over here. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. نستغفرك ونتوب إليه السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته